0: Butcher's Hill, a Tess Monahan Mystery by Laura Lippman. Narrated by Deborah Hazlett. Prologue Five years ago. He was deep in his favorite dream, the one about Annie, when he thought he heard the scratchy sound of pebbles on his windowpane. Snick, snick, snick. No, he had been the one who had thrown the pebbles against Annie's window so many years ago, back on Castle Street. Then he would sing when he saw her pull back the curtain. Buffalo girl, won't you come out tonight, come out tonight, come out tonight. And she did. What a skinny, long-legged girl she had been, creeping down the fire escape in her bare feet, high-heeled shoes stuck in the pockets of her dress, bright red birds sticking out their long necks. Patch pockets! She had said when he had marveled at them. He marveled at everything about her the white rickrack she sewed along the hem and neckline of her dress to give it what she called pizzazz, her heart shaped face, the hollow at the base of her throat where he hung a heart shaped locket. No matter how many times she crawled down that fire escape to meet him, she always hesitated on that final step, about a half story above the ground, as if she were scared of falling. But he knew she was a little scared of him, of loving him, of what it meant for a young, high spirited girl to love a man so serious and solemn. She would hang, the toes of her bare feet curling in fear as she swung above the street, and he would laugh, he couldn't help himself, at that skinny, long legged girl swinging above Castle Street. His Annie. The prince is supposed to take a girl to a castle but you already live on one, he used to tell her. Where am I gonna take you, princess? He promised to take her to Europe, to Jamaica, to New York City. In the end, he had taken her the five blocks to Fairmount Avenue, with a week at Virginia Beach every August. Snick, snick, snick. But that was 40 years ago, and Annie was dead. Almost 10 years now, and he was alone in their bed. The little burst of noise at his window must be a tree branch or sleet on the pane. But there were precious few trees on Fairmount Avenue, and it was early June, June 3rd. Even half asleep, he knew the calendar to the day, knew which numbers had come in, because he always wrote them on that day's date. 467 on the pick three, 4526 on the pick four, which he had straight for $350. His lucky day but that was yesterday. He had already collected on the ticket down at the Koreans. He would have to check his dream book in the morning, see what the number was for a lost love, for a heart, for the color red. Snick, snick, snick. Then a thicker sound, one he recognized immediately. The now all-too-familiar sound of breaking glass. Window glass, straight below him. No a windshield this time. The sound shattered what was left of his sleep, his dream, his Annie. Those damn kids, the ones from over on Fayette. Well, no more, he resolved, then said it out loud. No more. He kept his gun in his bottom bureau drawer, in a nest of single socks he held on to because their mates might show up one day. They made for good cleaning rags, too. Slip one over your hand and dust the woodwork. The bullets were with his never-worn cufflinks, in the tiny drawers on either side of the old-fashioned shift robe. He loaded the gun with care, not rushing. After all, they weren't rushing. When those kids got started, they took their sweet time, knowing no one would call the police. And it wouldn't matter if they did. Everyone in the neighborhood so scared of those little kids, and the cops so indifferent it could make you cry. It's just property, they said, every time he called. Not their property, though. Just his car, his radio, his windows, his front door. His, his, his. He moved slowly down the staircase in the dark, huffing a little. Lord, he was getting fat. He'd have to start putting skim milk on his cereal. Nasty stuff, skim milk. Not much more than white water. But a man had to do what a man had to do.